obviously there's a lot of other things that play a part. You want good body position, you want good posture, rotation, timing, all that sort of stuff is really important. But if you don't have a good catch, then it's almost game over from there. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. This episode is the audio from a Facebook Live event that I did recently called My Top 8 Things to Swim Faster in 2018. Hope you enjoy it. All right, here we go. Welcome to uh, this Facebook Live. Um, Brenton here from Effortless Swimming. We're going to talk about my top eight ways to swim faster in 2018. And uh, these are a lot of things that I've covered before. You've probably seen them in some of the YouTube videos that we do on the podcast. Um, but this is really a consolidated, or a list of my consolidated thoughts on um, what most triathletes, open water swimmers can do to get quicker for this coming year. So before we get into it, or during the video, for anyone who shares this video, I'm going to pick one person to give away a front snorkel. Um, which is, here we go. so a front snorkel, I've got one here, uh, which is really good for doing drills with and also uh, swimming as well if you're focusing on your technique. So for anyone who shares the video during this live stream, I'm going to pick one person at the end uh, to give away a front snorkel and also an any boy too, which is, which is my favorite uh, pool boy, especially if you're a triathlete, you're going to love this pool boy. Uh, it's basically just plastic and air and that's going to sit you really high in the water. So so much better than any other one I've used. The other good thing about this is it's got this very narrow sort of middle section, which just means that you can keep your legs close together. So it's just basically less resistance than if you've got one of those thick, uh, thick pool boys where you kind of have to keep your legs separated a little bit more. Um, so it's much better, especially for core control. So uh, at the very end of this video, we will give away uh, one front snorkel, one any boy two, to two people. So share this video if you uh, if you're enjoying it. So. Let's get, let's get stuck into it here. So the first thing is uh, having a before training routine. So if you feel like it takes you a long time to warm up, if you feel like after a K and a half, two Ks, you're finally ready to go, then you might want to look at including a before training routine. Um, for me, I, it used to take me about sort of 1,200, 1,500 meters to really feel like I was warmed up. Uh, but now in the last six to 12 months, I've added this um, to, to every swim that I do, and I can really get going in about 400, 500 meters. I'm ready to go um, and get stuck into the main set if I'm short on time. I can warm up with four or 500 meters, and I'm, you know, I can kind of hit the pace that I want to. So uh, a couple of things that I've added, number one is an active dry land warm up. Um, so we used to do, and I used to teach just doing arm swings and leg swings and all this sort of stuff. And I, I mean, they're really good. They're much better than doing a static stretching they're much better than doing nothing. But we went to Hell Week, it's probably three, probably three years ago now. And uh, one of the, the Fini coaches over there, Miguel Lopez, um, who I've developed a good relationship with now, he's a, um, an excellent coach. And they have a lot of national team coaches come in and basically swim at the pool at, at Tanyapura over in Thailand. And um, so he gets to come across a lot of different athletes, coaches, physios, um, biomechanists and they had the Dutch team physio come over and show them the routine that he takes the, the Dutch national athletes through uh, and a lot of it is just very slow very controlled movements um, and not you know, not wanting to go too far outside your normal range of motion so he sort of says stick within about 10% of your 
uh, of your natural range of motion. So if you think of bringing your hands up behind your back, right, you don't want to go too far because if you go too far, it can kind of tear the muscle and it can have a higher chance of leading to injury. So with any of the movements that you do during your warm up, don't go too far outside of your, your comfortable range. So some of these just basic exercises that uh, he has, his athletes do now, and I like to include these when I'm training. Some simple ones are just sort of internal, external rotations, moving slowly through that. Right, so I'd normally go 30 seconds or so of that. Uh, also, you can go on the ground in almost a bridge position on your knees and your hands, and you put one foot forward, so opposite. So you go uh, left foot back, right, uh, right arm forward, and you move through that. 10, 15 times. So some of these are very similar to some yoga movements, but I've found that really good just for, for warming up and reducing the chance of uh, getting any injury. The second thing is uh, using TheraBands. I mean, I'm really using a lot of TheraBands these days. 90% of the sessions that I do, uh, I'll do at least four or five minutes of TheraBand work. So the one that um, that I like to use is this red, red TheraBand or red resistance. Um, it's $15 or so on Amazon. You can find them anywhere. Get, get about six foot. That's probably what you'll need. Uh, and I've kind of, I've got a routine, a five minute routine that I go through and I posted that in the effortless swimming membership, which goes through I think it's six or seven different exercises. Um, but I've found that to, to be really useful for two things. Number one is scapular stability and control. So when I start to get fatigued towards the end of a session, I find that it's hard to maintain good form because I don't quite have that swim strength to be able to kind of you know, maintain a good catch and a good pull through. But using the TheraBands, one, it's great for warming up, but number two, just developing strength to be able to um, sort of keep your shoulders in the right position and particularly have a much better catch. So a much better catch. You can see this exercise down um, the bottom here in that picture. Uh, so I normally sort of start, you know, one of the exercises is with the arm out in front, and you just move it down, keep this elbow up, move down to there, and then you'll end up pulling through. But it's really about keeping that elbow forward while you go from out in front to the fingertips pointing down. And I mean, you'll feel that, you'll really feel that in the back of your shoulder here. That's the whole idea because it's, you know, the whole catch motion, it's quite an awkward movement. You know, we, we don't do that anywhere else. There's nothing else that you probably do in day-to-day -day life. We're actually going through a similar sort of movement to what you will when you're catching, when you're swimming. So that's why I, um, yeah, that's why I've started to do a lot more of that. Um, and I found that with the athletes that I coach is, um, yes, you can develop some strength just by swimming more, but it's it's difficult without actually using TheraBands or uh, like the pulley cable type system. So um, very cheap uh, solution for that. Now, the second one is getting a better catch. So. One thing I like to clarify before I sort of talk about the catch is, you know, before I, or when I started swimming, I didn't really know what the catch actually was. So coaches would talk about, you know, high elbow catch, all this sort of stuff, but I didn't actually know what it was. So the catch, if, you, if you're not 100% sure, is basically from when you're, you're here. So you're out in front, you're at full extension, and then it's when the fingertips tip down, the elbow stays forward, down to there. So that part, that is the catch. That's all it is. Then the rest of it is, is the pull phase. So um, don't get confused by when someone talks about the catch. It's basically from when you're out in front to when your fingertips go to tip down. And I've worked with so oh, over probably 1,200, 1,300 swimmers, if not more, in terms of doing video analysis with people. And 95% of the swimmers I see can improve on their catch. It's a massive one. 
um, that, you know, it's, it should be the focus for most people because really it's where most of your propulsion will come from. Now, obviously there's a lot of other things that play a part. You want good body position, you want good posture, rotation, timing, all that sort of stuff is really important. But if you don't have a good catch, then it's almost game over from there. So um, that's why a lot of the sort of clinics that we run, a lot of the um, people that I'm coaching inside our, our online coaching membership, I've got a big focus on the catch and, and helping them improve that position. And you can see the pictures down the bottom here. So this is one of our coaches, Mitch Patterson. He, um, he was on the Australian team. You can see that left picture down the bottom where he's, it's that side on shot. So that's kind of after he's just initiated the catch. You can see the upper part of the arm is staying relatively high while the fingertips begin to tip down. You want the fingertips pointing down at the bottom of the pool. Then that other shot on the side, you can see there, that's when he's just finished his catch and he's about to initiate the pull. Where the fingertips are down, the elbow's out to the side. He's got this nice triangle position or sideways triangle position. Um, and that's where you can really start to use your lats a lot to pull through. Uh, and once you start to improve that, that part of the stroke, you'll notice a massive difference with, number one, how much water you hold when you're swimming, um, but also your speed. I mean, we've, um, we've gone through sort of a bit of a drill sequence at some of the clinics, so it's like catch, kick, uh, doggy scoop, and catch up with a slow catch. We'll kind of go through a bit of a sequence there in the clinics, and almost straight away, people really start to get the concept of what it's like to feel the water, because the difference between a good catch and a poor catch is really the direction that the forearm and the hand is facing. So when someone's swimming, someone who's got a poor catch, and if you feel like you don't quite get a good feel for the water, you're probably just letting this elbow drop and the, you know, the forearm and the hand is pressing down on the water. We want to, as best as we can, press back on the water and have the hand and the forearm as one paddle that's pressing backwards so you can move forward. So, um, yeah, look, it takes a bit of practice and it does take time. Um, so you know, it's not something that you're going to be able to change overnight. Well, you can definitely improve it overnight. It's something, it's a project that you'd want to spend a few weeks on, a few months, and eventually years to really, um, to develop this. Um, if you've got any questions as well, just put them in the, the comment box here. I'm just going to um, just check here. See, Lisa's on. G'day, Lisa, how are you going? Um, so, yeah, if you've got any questions, just post them in the comment box. And just a reminder that we are giving away a front snorkel and an Eni Boy too. Uh, to anyone who shares it, well, not to everyone, but to anyone who shares this video, um, we're going to pick one person at the end. So, um, and you can see here, so it's difficult to get right if other parts of the stroke aren't right. So, for example, I was doing some analysis for people inside our membership yesterday, and their alignment with their, with their entry position, their alignment wasn't right. They had a big crossover out the front. They're entering too far forwards with their hand, and another some of his posture was just, he wasn't sort of switched on enough with the core. So to me, you know, the way I sort of see improving your technique, you can't just go straight for working on the catch, even though it is the most important part of the stroke. We wanna see what someone's doing with the other aspects of their stroke, because it's a bit of a process. It's like building a house. You wanna have that strong base, that strong foundation, and then build it up from there. So, you know, alignment, entry, posture, those things are part of the base, and we really need to get those right to be able to work on the, the catch. And the reason for that is, so let's take a crossover, for example. If you're coming over here, it's going to be very hard. I'll show you here. It's going to be very hard to get a good catch on the water if you're starting across here. We really need to get that hand in line with the shoulder to be able to get into the right catch position. So that's why we kind of you know, work through that process. 
uh, that way instead of just going straight for the catch. Number three is keeping loose. So adults are generally very tight. We, you know, most of us are working behind a computer at a desk. We might be sitting down for a lot of the day and just years and years of that, we build up a lot of tightness. So we just lose a lot of mobility, especially through the shoulders. Now, even just, you know, I've found when I was working a uh, sort of office job, I only worked it for, for six months, but wearing a suit, tie, you know, it's just not a very comfortable thing to be wearing. And I found that just my mobility through the shoulders was impacted from that. As well as when I started doing triathlons, the extra running and the, you know, that TT position on the bike uh, isn't great for your mobility. So obviously you can't escape that if you're doing triathlon, but there are some ways that you can improve on it. And limited mobility just means limited ability to achieve good technique or the, the correct technique. And you can see these images below. So uh, Helen Walker, she's a, uh, a physio here in Melbourne. She's worked with a lot of the Australian team. And I mean, for her, she goes through this um, uh, athlete screening where she takes them through a number of different mobility tests. And if she sees that you know some of these swimmers on the Australian team, if they're not hitting the right uh, levels or the right angles in these tests, what she'll do is give them some exercises to improve on it because that's what can lead to injury for them, and that's also what can um, what can stop them from achieving the technique that they want to be able to achieve when they're competing at that very top level. So. Um, I mean, most of us, we're you know, very time poor if you're working and you're training quite a bit. So how do you go about incorporating this sort of stuff into your, your normal training? And for me, I see it as just when you're at home, if you're ever in front of the TV or you're on the floor, if you're playing with your kids, whatever it might be, that's a good time just to get out the foam roller or get out the massage ball. You know, something like one of these hard tennis sized, uh, tennis ball sized uh, massage balls are so good just for kind of getting stuck into your upper and lower traps like you can see in that bottom uh, bottom right picture. And yeah, also like a lat stretch on the foam roller. Um, there's a ton of these that are in, our, in the membership which we, which sort of Helen will take you through. But um, really just trying to loosen up a bit through the shoulders. And you know, when I'm working with someone face to face and we, and we look at their mobility, a lot of times if, if they are really tight, they can't physically get into that ideal catch position of fingers down, elbow forward. They're usually a little straighter with the arm, that elbow tends to drop a bit. So it's a big, you know, it's a really big thing that isn't talked about a lot. It's not really a sexy thing to talk about. Uh, you know, technique and all that sort of stuff is, is fun to kind of work on. But where there's a lot of opportunity for, for many people, I see is just getting a bit looser through the shoulders. Uh, Jeremy asked, in your opinion, are these technical exercises too detailed? for a nine-year-old. Um, I'd keep it fun. So for the younger, you know, for, for younger swimmers, especially sort of 11, 12 years old or, or younger, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great to teach them these, these things uh, and it's, it's good for them to go through, especially some dry land strength training, but keep it fun. Don't get too, I don't like to get too serious with it. Um, yeah, just, it's, it's good to, to educate them, um, but yeah, I wouldn't be too, too serious with it. Let's see, so number four, baseline of speed and fitness. So uh, one thing I like to, to do, especially when I'm starting to train for an event, is to have different sets uh, or, or time trials to check my progress. So it's an indicator of, of where you're at with your swim speed. So you know, it could be a 400, a kilometer or a 3K time trial if you're swimming for a longer event. 
uh, or it could just be a, a set that you like to do. And when you do these time trials or these sort of baseline tests, make it, uh, do them in a similar pool at a similar time of day with a similar couple of hours beforehand for the best accuracy. Because there's no point doing, let's say, a 3K time trial in a, a long course pool at 5 a.m. in the morning, and then your next one is at 3 p.m. in the afternoon when you're probably a bit, maybe a bit fresher, uh, and you're in a short course pool, and you, uh, you know, haven't eaten for, for a day. So as best you can, try and keep the conditions around that time trial as, uh, as similar as possible. And uh, yeah, it's a really good way just to, to see how you're going. And uh, my normal sort of baseline test, I, every summer I train for the Peter Pub, which is a 1.2K swim. And when I begin training for it, the baseline test is six 200s on two minutes 40, long course. And I've done that for the last five years or so. So I know pretty much when I start, I'm, str I'm struggling to make that cycle when I start training for it. But over time, I can see myself getting quicker. So I'll normally do that almost every week or every second week just to start kind of checking where I'm at. And a week or two before the, the event, I know if, if I can go around sort of, you know, 225s a little bit quicker for those 200s, I know I'm in, in pretty good fitness. And the one or two years where I haven't been there, my results haven't been that good. So for me, that's a baseline test for a roughly 1.2K swim. Um, but make up your own and, you know, it's, it really just depends on what you're training for. Um, if you're doing, if you're racing in the pool, if you're doing 50s and 100s, I mean, that baseline test can almost just be what you're, you're swimming in the races. Uh, but I also like to have something to do in training as that baseline test. And uh, I got this message this morning from, uh, from someone in the membership. So uh, you might not be able to read it, but I'll read it here for you. So I'll just read the, the last bit. So this, this from here, Daniel, he has a baseline test of six 100s. And so he started working with me in uh, November. And he said, uh, I started working with the exercises you suggested and being more mindful of how it should look and feel based on your videos. So I did a video analysis for him. And he said, in a short period of time, I can feel the difference in my swimming entry feels more natural and I can swim six 100s on with 30 seconds rest in 140 for the first three laps and then 150 for the last or the last three 100s. Uh, compared to when he started in November, where he could do 145 for the first one, then 150, and then he'd blow out to two minutes after that. So for him, so that was his baseline test. And I have a lot of swimmers who, who join the membership who have that, that test, whether it's like a, a 400, 200 time trial or it can be a K time trial. So yeah, just pick one for you. I like, I really like that way of checking in to see how you're going. Number five is shock the system. So um, recently I did a post in our membership, which kind of went through the top or the most uh, common training mistakes that I see uh, swimmers doing, especially if someone who's, who's quite new to, to swimming. Um, a couple of those things are just non-stop swimming. So people will sometimes approach their training like they're, they're running. They might go out for a 6K run at one pace and it's just about getting back to the end. But with swimming, yeah, you might occasionally want to do some, um, you know, some longer swings, but really it's about what are you doing in your training sessions that's going to help you get quicker. And so you ideally break it up with the distances break it up with the different sets that you're doing and especially the speed. So if you feel like when you train, when you race, you've only got one speed, how often do you vary your pace in training? So I see a lot of new swimmers or new athletes doing non-stop swimming. So their session might be two and a half K, but it's just get in and swim two and a half K uh, or one pace only swimming where 
they still might break it up, but they're not varying the pace. They're not changing the effort level. Um, so well, yes, it, it's good to sometimes do some longer swims or have one, one pace if you're doing an easy aerobic session. Um, you don't want to be doing that all the time. So sets like, you know, a, a few sets that I really like for this. Um, one of my favorites is nine 150s, descending one to three with 30 seconds rest. So that set there, 150 meters, um, and you want to descend one to three. And all that means is you're going to get quicker each one. So let's say the first 150 is uh, you're going 230. On the second one, you might go 220. And on the third one, you might go 210. And you'd repeat that another two times through to make nine 150. So you're kind of going easy, medium, fast, easy, medium, fast. So a few sets like that, really good for de developing your pace. Um, check the stop clock, make sure that you're actually hitting those times and it gives you a really good reference for how, how much effort you need to put in for the pace and the speed that you're going. So that, uh, that set there I got from, um, from Daniel Kowalski. He, uh, I was swimming with him occasionally a couple of years back when he was uh, training for Masters. He, he raced the Masters Nationals and uh, that was one of the sets that he repeatedly do. It was the 9 150s. Uh, and he was sort of racing 400, 800, uh, so just a good good distance set. The second one I've got there is just doing some sprinting, some top-end speed sprinting and sustained sprinting. So it's almost like that best average um, sort of stuff. So 825 is best average. Now, best average means as fast as you can hold across all eight. So it's the best average pace that you can hold. So the, I did this one two days ago. So I did 825s on 30 seconds. And it was basically trying to hit the same pace every single 25. Then we'd do 200 recovery. And we went through that three times. But those 825s are hard. And by the end of it, you're really starting to, to feel it. But you're hitting that top end speed, which I see not enough swimmers doing that fast kind of work. And the last one I've got there is uh, eight 100s going one fast, one recovery. Very easy. Now, um, that set. When I started to get back into training this season, that was one of my favorite sets to do. So I'd, I'd do about a K of sort of technique and drill work, and then I'd do eight 100s, pardon me, of one fast. So I was really going for it. Heart rate, heart rate was right up. And then I'd just go an easy easy 100, and I'd go through that for, for eight 100s. Then I'd finish off with um, just some easy swimming, a little bit of technique work and pool and paddles, but um, just really making sure that you do shock the system doesn't need to be all the time. If you're training for an Ironman, if you're training for a longer 5K, 10K swim, you don't need to do a lot of that stuff, but it's good to do occasionally. Uh, Michelle's asked, uh, how many laps should a nine-year-old swim a day? Um, oh, look, it's not, it's not so much how many laps should, should they swim. Um, it's about sort of what's, the, what's the quality and of, of, those, of those laps, uh, and are they... Are they learning? Are they having fun? Are they getting a chance to really, um, to kind of do something that they're interested in and that challenges them as well? So laps, I mean, there are some, some nine-year-olds who are swimming uh, one, two, three, four Ks a day, or at least sort of two, three, four times a week. Um, but I mean, I, I like just consistency. You know, if you can get in the water three or four times a week as a, as a nine-year-old and you do that for, you might do that for 45 minutes, an hour. Um, that's going to be, that's going to set you up pretty well. Um, so yeah, if, if they're in a good group of, of swimmers, if they've got a good coach, 
yeah, three or four times a week is, is a, a good amount of time to, um, to be training. Now, number seven is, let me just check. No, sorry, I missed that one. All right, so number six, uh, before we get into this one, all right, before we get into this one, just a reminder that if you share this video, uh, we're going to be giving away an Any Boy 2 and a front snorkel. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, I'll post it out to you. Um, so they're really good um, devices. So if you share the video, I'll be picking one person to, to send those to. Uh, number six is know the target. So what's your target race time and when is the race? So when I start working with someone, I like to ask what their A race is or their, their main goal. So for someone, it might be nationals, it might be a half Ironman, an Ironman, it might be a 2K swim. And so we wanna find out what that is and then when is that race? So how long have we got to work towards that race? Then I'll ask them what, like where are you now in terms of your pacing uh, and what's your ex experience? So my next race is at the end of February. I'm doing the, the Rottnest Channel Swim. Uh, and my goal time for that is four hours 30 to four hours 40. Somewhere in there would be my ideal situation if it's good conditions. Obviously conditions can change, but with, if, with everything goes right, that's where I'd like to be. And so that's averaging a 121 to 124 pace for the for the 20Ks. So in October, when we were over in Thailand for our How Week Camp, I did a 3K time trial uh, where I went 118 pace uh, per 100, so it was 39.07. And I know that if I can get that down at the start of Feb, if I can get that goal time down to 37.30, which is around 115 pace for, for 100 meters, if I can get it down to, to there, if not a little bit quicker, then I'm probably gonna be you know, looking pretty good to try and um, at least get under 440 pace. So uh, I know I had four or five months to work towards it. And so all the sets that I'm doing now are working towards getting down to that pace for this kind of 3K time trial. Because I know in the back of my mind, every time I'm doing a set or a session that um, that I know what the, the end result is or the end goal is. So what I'm doing, so one of the sessions I did was a K warm up and then three by three K swimming, which is boring as hell, but you need to start to get do these longer sessions, but it gave me a reason. It gave me a, something to think about when I was going through those three Ks and I was checking the clock with every couple of hundred just to know that I was on pace and it gave me a bit more motivation to know how it related to that goal at the end. So number seven is, is filming. So whether it's underwater filming or just getting your phone out and filming from the side and from the front, your stroke or your swimming will always look different than what you expect. I, I haven't had one person come to me and say, yeah, that's exactly how I thought uh, I looked when I, when I swam. Uh, and for me, I've, I've done so much underwater filming that I rarely do it on myself. But when I did some filming a few months ago, uh, I was doing things I, I wasn't expecting. I thought, uh, you know, I thought my right arm was going deep enough, all this sort of stuff, and it just it wasn't the case. So that's why filming is just one of the, the best things you can do for your swimming. So if you don't have an underwater camera like a GoPro or anything like that, the, the kind of minimum that I look for is filming from the front, swimming towards the camera, filming from the side, kind of going past the camera. If you do have an underwater camera, then another, uh, another few good angles, swimming towards the camera under the water, going along with you, uh, like you can see that bottom picture there. And then the bird's eye view is really good too. Really just to look for your alignment. Are you crossing over? How's your breathing? Are your legs staying close together um, when you're rotating? A few things like that. So whatever you've got, just make the most of it. 
But um, there's no reason why you can't just whip out your cell phone, get some footage shot of you and have a look at it and then compare it to an elite swimmer or a triathlete with a, uh, with a similar style. So the reason I say that to a, with a similar style is because there's so many different ways to swim, well, whatever stroke you're doing, especially freestyle. There's, there's so many different types. So there's no point trying to compare yourself to someone who's got a very different body shape or build to you. Um, compare yourself to someone who looks kind of similar to you in the water. So for a lot of the female triathletes that I work with, most of them, uh, you know, they're generally quite wiry. They don't have a big wingspan. They're not going to go for this long and smooth type of freestyle with most of them. So I'd compare them to Annabelle Luxford, who we've got some footage of, and she's a professional triathlete, one of the fastest swimmers in triathlon, and she's got a very high rating. She's up around, I think it's around sort of high 80s, low 90s for a stroke rate when she's racing. Whereas uh, this swimmer here, Clayton Fatale, he's, he's more around the sort of 70 stroke rate, uh, but he's got a big wingspan, very long, smooth stroke. He's got a background in swimming. Um, so I wouldn't compare you know, one of those triathletes to, to him. So it's all about look at what is, um, is quite similar to, to yours. So uh, then the question is, what, what do you look at? What are you looking for if you're just doing an analysis yourself or you're just kind of looking, looking at your own stroke? Well, there's a few ideas you can get if you look at our Feedback Friday videos or free Feedback Friday playlist on YouTube because, um, yeah, I mean, I've got, I think we've up to 13 or 14 of those videos now and a lot of different strokes, uh, a lot of different angles to work with. So that'll give you a really good idea of what to what to kind of think about uh, and what to look for when you're analyzing your own stroke. And that's meant to say number eight. So number eight is uh, individualized coaching. So uh, I had a swimmer come to a clinic recently and um, she was saying that her her partner kind of came across effortless swimming from watching videos uh, online and, and found our YouTube videos. And she was able to come to a clinic because she was kind of visiting from overseas, um, but he, he didn't have the chance to. But she said that one of the, the problems that she found was that uh, there's so much different information in different videos and different coaching styles that it's very generalized, that approach, and it's not specific to what well, wasn't specific to him. So she found that he's going through, you know, he's trying to work on all these different things that he finds with the next video. Like for one video, I might talk about you need to go wider with your elbow when you're pulling through, or you might need to recover wider with your hand, or you might need to breathe differently. But if you're trying to do... 15, 20 different things and you're working on something different each time, very little chance that you'll actually improve. While a lot of people do improve by taking some of this stuff on board, the best way to really do it is to get some specific feedback that's specific to you. So, you know, when I'm doing analysis with someone at a clinic, we go, what's the two or three main things that's going to make a difference for you in the next six to 12 months? And we're not gonna, we don't bombard them with, with 20 different things. Same thing goes like when we do run clinics. When I first started three or four years ago, we went through 20 or 21 different drills in that clinic. But I found that was just information overload. You come away from there going, that was great, but I don't actually remember any of it. So now we've just simplified it, just a handful of drills, but the ones that are most important. So any individualized specific coaching for you is most likely we're actually going to start to see those results coming. 
So some of the things that uh, a lot of people say when they, they first come to me is my, my times haven't improved in two years. I don't get feedback from my, my squad coach, which I totally understand. It's, if you've got 20 swimmers in a squad, it's very hard to have much meaningful time with each of those. I used to coach a, a squad here in Melbourne and the sessions would often be quite busy. And there's only so much feedback you can give during a session if you've got a lot of swimmers. There's only so much detail you can go into in a typical squad session because most pe most people are there to to get fit and the technical stuff yeah it doesn't get a lot of attention so I understand how hard it is for a lot of uh, for squad coaches trying to, to give feedback. People also say I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Uh, I know what I'm doing wrong, but I don't know how to to fix it. And that's a really common one. So especially if you feel like you're slipping in your catch, if you feel like your legs are uh, are dropping and your feet are sinking, then you know, a lot of people can feel that, but they don't know how they should go about to try and fix it. And that's what I've really tried to sort of talk about in the YouTube videos that we do and, um, and give a bit of structure around uh, and understanding around what causes those things and then what you need to do and what you need to focus on and practice for the, uh, the coming weeks to make those changes. People also say, I'm putting in the effort, but my times don't reflect it. And this is a really common one especially for, for triathletes that I see there. The bike, the run, they're working their butt off and their times are coming down, but the swim doesn't reflect it. And it's because the swim is just such a technical thing that fitness and strength will only get you so far. Your, your technique is often the, the ceiling that, that will stop you from getting faster. So that's why, you know, that's why the, I think filming yourself is just such a, such a key point. Uh, and then you, know, you could spend the next 12 months focused on things that, that won't make you quicker. And I've certainly done this before. Uh, I've just focused on getting fitter. But again, that technique was a limiter for me. I, you know, I started to, to slip in my catch and pull through and my times were the same as, as previous years. So it's really just, um, just about having someone show you exactly what it is that's going to help you, whether that be technically looking at your training program um, there's a lot of different ways to, to do it, but try to not generalize coaching can be okay, but what's worth actually kind of working on is this individualized stuff. So when I'm working with someone, um, I often look at, like I mentioned earlier, was what's their target for the next six to 18 months and where are they now? And then, then it's about how do we bridge that gap? All right, so we're here, we wanna to get to here, what do we have to do to bridge that gap? And there's a couple of different things that we look at. So there's the, you know, there's their technical flaws and how to correct them. Um, and even if you're with a squad or you're already on a program with a, with the coach, you know, you can still make these changes to your stroke uh, by really adjusting your warm up and, and choosing a, a couple of uh, specific drills and focus points in your warm up, and then go about your normal training session. So uh, it's possible to do that even if you're already in that squad environment. Um, we'll often look at mobility and strength because those two things uh, will kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways, but it's one thing that um, I don't think is covered enough. We'll also look at training frequency and, uh, and your workouts. So how often you're training? And if it's less than three times a week, we'd want to look at increasing that. So the minimum I find with most people is you've got to be swimming at least three times a week. Uh, four, five, six times a week, you know, that that can make a big difference for most people because that consistency is what builds your feel for the water, builds your strength, it builds your fitness. 
Now, I know it's not an option for everyone, but a minimum three times a week is normally that, that benchmark that I go for. And we'll look at the type of thing they're doing in their workouts. So like we, like we looked at earlier, are you just jumping in and doing two, three K straight? Um, are you swimming at one speed? And then we'll look at what can we change in your, your existing sort of workout structure. We look at skills. So open water swimming. Open water swimming is almost like a, a different sport. If you've never done it, you'll find that when, when you do go open water, it feels very different to the pool. I started doing open water swimming when I was 13 or 14. And the first, well, it took me until I was probably, I think 21 or 22 to really, uh, to really nail it. But from 13, 14, swam in the pool, could swim really well in the pool, but I didn't know how to sight. I didn't know about turning boys. I didn't know about drafting, all this sort of stuff. It's, it's really just a, a separate sport or a separate stroke until itself. So if you can develop those open water skills, um, I've found it to make a huge difference, especially when, when you're in a big group or a big pack of swimmers. Uh, pacing as well. So the, where are we? Yeah, pacing too. So again, for new swimmers, they often go out too hard and then they die and they die and then they end up blowing out a lot at the end. Most, you know, most good races are swum negative split. So the second half is quicker than the first half most of the time. So it's just about developing that ability to kind of sense where you're at with your, with your pace and then swim faster as we go. So this, the last thing is uh, mindset. So this is a really important one. Um, not something that I, I've touched on a lot in our videos or anything like that. Uh, but just the mindset. When we were in uh, Thailand for our whole week camp, we had uh, our two coaches there. So it was myself, uh, a guy named Phil Rush, who has swum, I think, one of only two or one of only three triple crossings of the English Channel. So it's basically swim across England to France, you get five minutes on the beach, swim back, and then five minutes, and then swim back. So the mindset you have to go through to be able to to do that, or the mindset you have to have is just incredible. So we had him talk about mindset and also Mitch Patterson, uh, who was our other coach there. And he talked about his journey to make the Australian team uh, and how he, he basically missed out on making the Australian team because of uh, the selectors didn't choose him and he didn't kind of race as well as he'd hoped to. But then he, he raised some funds. He ended up going overseas to compete and ended up breaking a, a Commonwealth record. And so just that kind of mindset is a massive part of sport and, uh, and shouldn't be overlooked. And when we had, growing up when I was 13 to about 18, we had a talk almost every year from, uh, from a sports psychologist because uh, it's such an important part. So the, um, the Effortless Swimming membership, it's not currently open to new members because a lot of people joined in December. So I'm helping them get started. I'm doing a lot of video analysis every day and just kind of pointing people in the right direction and working with them. Um, but that's the that's really the best way to start working with me. So you can join the waiting list uh, to, and I'll let you know when it opens again. So the link is there and I'll post it in the, uh, the comments here too. So it's effortlesswimming.com forward slash uh, membership. And that's where you basically get to work directly with me. You can send your videos in for analysis uh, and I'll do a full analysis with what drills uh, should you start doing to make those changes in your stroke. There's also a private coaching section plus um, workouts, technique videos, strength training, mobility, all that sort of stuff. So it's not open at the moment, but when it does open, 
Um, the only way to kind of find out is just to join that waiting list through that website there. So at the start of the video, uh, at the start of the live stream, I started to give away a, a front snorkel and an Amy Boy 2 um, to people who shared this video. So let me just jump on here. Now I just need to find, hopefully I can see where people have shared this, uh, shared this video. So if you want to post any questions as well, just in the comments, so I can uh, read them here while I'm looking this up. Marina said, what would be the maximum number of days in the pool? Well, I mean, I like to try and take at least one day off every, uh, every you know, week. So you don't, if you're swimming seven days a week, you, you're not going to get that time to recover. So for me, I'll, I'll normally, when I'm in full training, swim five or six days a week and I take at least one day off. All right, so I'm just going to look for where I can see these shares. And if I can't find it, then I might just have to pick someone who's liked this video. So yeah, for some reason I can't see who shared this video. So what I'll do instead is just thumbs up this video. Hit the like button, take that away. All right, so uh, yeah, just hit that thumbs up button and then I'm just gonna randomly pick someone to send the any boy to and the snorkel. All right, so I'll give you another, another 10 seconds or so. Uh, Marina also asked, what are your thoughts on training twice a day? Um, yes, can be can be really good. I used to do that all the time growing up. Every elite swimmer, every elite triathlete, um, they're training twice, sometimes three times a day. Depends how old you are. You know, I don't think it's really necessary for someone who's 12 or younger, but it can be a really good thing to do. And yeah, it all, it all depends on your, your situation and um, how old they are and yeah, everything like that. So, all right, I see a lot of uh, likes going through here. This is... Great, so, all right, so I can see I've got 30 here. I'm just going to uh, open up a random number generator. All right, so what have we got? It's only showing me about 12 of them. Might be because some of you are on, uh, on private. So I'll just put in 12 and then I'll count up from the bottom. All right, 11, so we're going up 11. So we've got, I'll share this page with you so you can see it first. All right, there we go. So 11, so we're going 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. So, oh, Marina, there you go. <laughs> just uh, uh, if you can send a PM, the Effortless Swimming page here, just send me your, um, your name and address and I'll send out the front snorkel and then we'll get another one. Uh, generate that. Number two, so we'll go two up from the bottom. This is for the any boy too. Got Nigel Rowan. So Nigel, congratulations, send me a PM through the, the Facebook page and I'll send out your any boy too, no matter where you are. All right, so we'll just go back to that. Now I've got a couple of questions here, so I'll just answer these before we go. Uh, Daniel asks, what's a good training length time-wise? Is an hour too long? Again, depends what you're training for. You know, your training sessions could be three hours long if they if they need to be. Um, really depends what your goals are. So while I'm training for the Rottnest Channel Swim, uh, you know, some sessions are about an hour long. The average session for me is, is probably an hour to an hour and a half. Um, anything less than about 45 minutes and you may not be doing enough. If you're training for sprints like a 50 and a 100, if you're doing that ultra short race pace type of training, that 
you don't necessarily need uh, to do long sessions, but yeah, I probably need a bit more contact context around that. All right, so thank you for joining me on this uh, this live stream here. Uh, as I said, if you're looking to get any coaching, uh, when the membership does open back up, just go to the Effortless Room membership forward slash membership. That's where you can join the waiting list. And I hope you've enjoyed this live stream. All right, all the best for 2018. And I will chat to you soon. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.